like I said, even towards the end of that chapter, there was some real discouragement. Hey, we're no, we're no different than animals. And it says some pretty, pretty hard things that we know, that, well, that's not true because we're created in God's image. There's something special about us. So that, that, that's kind of the perspective of Solomon in chapter 3. In chapter, in chapter 4, I've entitled this one, A View from the Top. View from the Top. And I'm identifying clearly that, that Solomon, as king, has this opportunity to, to do this examining, you know, what is life under the sun, and now he's reporting what he sees. And this time, he's, he is actually reporting from his perspective as being, you know, number one, numero uno, the, the, the king over this, this nation Israel. Uh, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about uh, how Solomon... Uh, followed the path to the, to the throne, and his father David came to the throne. That, there, there really is a contrast between the two. David, David was actually anointed as king early on, if you go back into the scriptures. Uh, but David didn't take the throne. Why? Because Solomon, or no, Saul, Saul was on the throne. And Saul did not like David. Matter of fact, David spent many years already anointed as king, running from Saul, running and hiding from Saul before he took the throne. Solomon, on the other hand, Solomon, on the other hand, you know, was, was kind of looking forward to the throne, was expecting it. Uh, the only trouble that, that kind of arose is that a brother, Adonijah, decided he was going to be king as, as David was get, becoming ill and, and, and you know, the, the throne was going to have to be filled. And so he kind of put together his own parade, gathered, you know, people who were positive for him, got some priests and, and, and uh, uh, got, gathered some people around him and, and held a big banquet and was kind of identifying himself as king. Well, the prophet Nathan uh, knew this was going on. So he went to mama. Okay, hear that? He went to Solomon's mom and said, hey, listen, uh, did you know Adonijah is kind of declaring himself king? And, and mama wasn't going to have that because David said, you know, Solomon, your son Solomon's going to be king. So, so mama went to David and corrected everything. You know how that works? You, you ladies, you know how that works? Well, mama speaks, you know, people listen. And, and so definitely when Solomon's mother Bathsheba spoke, and, and when you know right after that conversation, they gathered a, a priest, they gathered Nathan the prophet, and they got together and they anointed Solomon, and then Solomon was seated upon the throne. Not so much difficulty for Solomon as it was for uh, for David. Matter of fact, uh, uh, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, we've been doing a Bible study going through Ecclesiastes, you know, extended study. And this week, I, just a topic in my own mind came up was, was looking at David and raising all his boys. We're going we're gonna to consider what that was like for David. We don't have time to go into that this morning. But here is, here is Solomon, one of David's sons who wrote this book of Ecclesiastes. And here is a view from the top. Sol uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Let's begin reading. It says, Again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of, of, the oppre of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead 
who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. I'm going I'm to end at 8. I will read some more verses, but uh, let's, let's begin here. Uh, Solomon begins with that, again, that, that ever investigating, ever looking at life. He says, and I looked, the beginning of that verse 1. And, and then he uses this phrase as well, under the sun. Meaning, he is examining life according to the things he could see and put his hands on within this life. I looked, and what he saw was oppression. He, he saw things that, that not, not just oppression, he saw envy. He also saw lo- loneliness. And these were difficulties that the king, understand, here's, here's the benefit of Ecclesiastes. The king who was given by God this gift of wisdom, and also in that place at the top as king, is able to examine all these things. And, and at the end of it, he, he says, hey, there's no way to get away from trouble. Uh, trouble actually surrounds himself and all his people. This, this morning, I'm going to speak about troubles in this world. There are some truths about worldly troubles that Solomon speaks of. First of all, number one is you are better off dead than to live under depression or oppression. Excuse me, oppression. You're better off dead than to live live under oppression. That's basically what Solomon says in these first three verses. You're better off dead than to live under oppression. This word translated from oppression means to press, press hard against, to press hard against. The pressing against is something actually negative, uh, meaning unjust heaviness, or, or we could use the word tyranny. You know, thinking about those in the past that have been tyrants, that has uh, you know, moved their leadership with tyranny, uh, putting pressure against, uh, uh, upon those that, that serve him. We think about Herod, you know, in the time of Jesus. Uh, Herod himself killed his own family members, his own sons, when they began to look at and think about themselves being upon Herod's throne. Let alone when Jesus was born, you know, that newborn king, and he went to Bethlehem and, and killed many of the, the young infant boys at that time. He was a tyrant. Uh, we also think about Nero in, in, the, New, you know, in, in the New Testament church where uh, oppression, uh, persecution just really uh, was raised against the church. Uh, others, and we could sit here and just name uh, those who... who uh, acted 
uh, tyrannically. You know, we could think about uh, Hitler, Caligula, Kim Jong-un even in this day, and, and, and others that we would, we would put on that list. It just continues on. It's strange that uh, as you read this, maybe you thought about this as well, but it, it is kind of strange that this is coming from the king. It's coming from the king. He says, I saw oppression. I saw the tears of those who were oppressed. He said, but hey, you're the king. You could do something about this. You think about that? Matter of fact, uh, Solomon himself is known to be a harsh ruler, a harsh king. Later on, when Rehoboam, his son Rehoboam, was looking at the throne and is about to, to, to take Solomon's place, there was, there was a group from Israel who came to him in, in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4. He, and they, they came in and was, they were asking him to be, go easy. He, they said it like this. Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Did you hear that? So Solomon, Solomon was actually laying, according to his own people, were laying a heavy burden upon their shoulders. And they didn't come and say, hey, remove the burden altogether. They said, hey, lighten the load, Rehoboam. Lighten the load. So we have a pretty good idea that Solomon himself, who's saying these words, you know, so what's happening here? What's, what's the thought from Solomon as he said, man, I saw the oppression. Again, we do know that Solomon wrote this towards the end of his life. So here, here's one idea. Well, either someone else wrote this, that's a possibility, or Solomon is perhaps repenting. Oh, man, I treated pe people poorly. Or even, maybe not repenting, but even regretting. Why was I so difficult on my people? I, I don't know. That either, either possibility oppression and and but here's here's the truth what he sees out of out of uh, uh oppression uh, solomon says the oppression leads to despair it leads to despair in verse two uh it it says that the the dead are the ones who are fortunate the dead's you know man uh specifically he says uh i declared that the dead who are already dead who have already died are happier than the living this is really the first indication that Solomon has some kind of perspective of afterlife. And, and matter of fact, he says, well, you know, because of oppression, those who have died that came out of oppression, they're happier off. They're, they're better off. They're happier. And, and really, it, it is kind of a negative perspective uh, of, of the afterlife. Well, at least they're happy when they're dead, you know, kind of thought. So it's not... not Kind of what you expect of those who believe in God and what God has in store for us. Um, in verse 3, in verse 3, Solomon points out as well, maybe this is even better. Better that, that they were never even born. That would, that would have been better. When I look out and see all the oppression in this world and, and those, the oppressors oppressing uh, the people, it would have been better if they were never born to enter into that oppression. And, and so, uh, yeah, it, it does make you think. Have you ever heard someone say, well, my husband and I or my wife and I have decided we're just not going to bring children into this world? Why? And they will identify the ugliness of this world. How, who, 
Who, who in their right mind would bring children into this difficult, ugly world? And that's the thinking. That's kind of Solomon's sentiment right here. Man, it's better if you were never born to come into a world of oppression. With that, I would say life is worth living because God created. I, I, I would say life because in our perspective, this life on earth is not all there is. Right? That's not there is. Matter of fact, I'm going to move on to this. When we think about oppression, Jesus came to deal with oppression. Jesus came to deal with people who are oppressed. Now, it was not, you know, the, the, the nation, or it wasn't Rome that he came to, to remove. He didn't come to, to establish an earthly throne and to overthrow any tyrants. That's not what he came for. You know, Herod wasn't overthrown, you know, and then someone came and sat in his place, and later on, someone else came, and there was tyrants amongst all those who were going to come even after Jesus. We named some of those. Jesus didn't come to remove the world governments and, and, and tyrants in this world. What did he come to remove? The oppressive sin that we're all under. Uh, are we, do we know oppression? Yes. And it comes from our own sinfulness. Let's just say it. It comes from our own brokenness. It's within us, the corruption. And, and there is condemnation over our heads because we're not worthy to be in relationship with God who is absolutely holy. Jesus came to, to deal with that oppression. And he hung upon the cross to cover our sinfulness, removing that condemnation. Okay, there's a reason we celebrate. There's a reason we're here. It's because of Jesus. If you ever want to know, hey, what, why are you guys gathered? Just, just say, hey, it's because of Jesus. Simple answer. Because of what he has done for you. He's removed the oppressive sin and, and the condemnation over our heads. And that's our life today. Now, I want to move on with Solomon. Solomon also sees in verses 4 through 6 a second worldly trouble that he identifies as envy. He says, envy is an evil and endless pursuit. Uh, uh, again, this is a view from the top. Solomon is king. What he says goes. And, and there is no one over Solomon uh, in that kingdom. Uh, and and I, I begin to think, well, even in his own court, those who serve him... Solomon is probably identifying, watching some of those who he's made servants are brought into responsibility, those who are working hard, maybe neglecting other things of life in order for them to achieve those positions. And, and maybe he sees some infighting there and some difficulties because there's only one person that could take that responsibility, but I have five or six guys who want that. You know, so they're, they're, there's difficulty amongst them. So he addresses this envy in verse 4. Listen to what he says. He says, I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one, uh, from one person's envy of, an, of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's saying my motivation is envy. I want that. I want what you have. And I, I desire it. And I will, I will work. I will do whatever I need to achieve it. That's that envy. That's, that's what he's identifying. On the other hand, 
A contrast to that is found in verse 5. You know, there's the one, the overachiever, that's man doing whatever he can to achieve what he wants. In verse 5, he comes along and says, Well, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. He's talking about the lazy person. On the other side is just man, is absolute laziness. Not doing anything, not, not working, not, not caring for himself, not, not dealing with things that he needs to be responsible for. He's just folding his hands and day comes and day goes. Not getting anything done. So there's a, a huge contrast from the, the workaholic to, to the one who's just absolutely lazy. Uh, but, but next, he, he brings in verse 6, that idea of contentment. And that's important for us today. See, in, in the book of, of James, in the New Testament, James addressed within the church, not in the world. Did you hear that? Within the church, this, this evil of envy. And it's, listen, listen to what James says. It's in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What's causing that? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. <laughs> Rough church. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Man, envy. There, there is no place for those who are following after Jesus to live an envy, an envying life, just desiring the things of this world, desiring what you want, desiring those positions, and I'm going to do whatever I can to take that. There, there is no place, and there's definitely no place within the church. Why? Because, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. That, you know, the only thing you ought to be carrying along with you is the cross, Right? The disciples, what did Jesus say to bring along with you? Oh, see, oh, pick up your cross and follow me. I don't think that was just to those disciples. I think to anyone who's going to follow after Jesus, you know that there's, there's this burden of a cross to care. And Jesus said, it's no burden at all. It's light. We are to live in contentment. I believe verse 6 speaks to that. Listen, listen to what he says. He said, but one handful of tranquility... Then two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better, no, excuse me. Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls uh, with toil and chasing after the wind. So what, what does he say? Man, there's, there's, and in some ways it looks like a happy medium. Okay, one handful of, uh, of tranquility. Keep that peace. Why? What are we going to do with that? Hey, remember what Solomon has said before. It, you know, eat, drink. Find satisfaction in your work. That's, that's been over the past couple of chapters we've gone through. He's brought it up again and again. Take a time of peace. Uh, the other, what's the other hand doing? Well, it is that labor. It is that work that we do. It's not folding the hands, but there is that place of contentment. Do what you need to do. Survive. You know, provide. Do the work. But may your life not be filled with only work. Solomon says, man, that's meaningless. Take, take that time, you know, in the other hand, to take time for peace. 
I think it's also to have that thankful heart we talked about. Matter of fact, let me go here. I, I've mentioned this before. Uh, Mike Mazzalongo. Mike Mazzalongo. I've seen some of his stuff as he's teaching through uh, uh, the, the Ecclesiastes. And, and I picked this up from him. It's a simple list. But he, he describes how do we live in contentment or how do you live satisfied number one is this keep your eyes on your own stuff keep your eyes on your own stuff because what is envy envy is looking to see what's over on the other side so what what do the joneses have you know trying to keep up with the joneses that kind of attitude well what does everybody else have you know someone else gets a new car i was content with the old car i had i mean it had a lot of miles on it but i got a lot more miles to get into it but now my neighbor across the street they have a nice new truck i got to get a nice new truck it, it is kind of the attitude we live with and if that's the kind of attitude we live with we're not living satisfied satisfied with what we have number two give thanks for what you have living with a thankful heart Man, and, and being grateful for every day what he's given. Not, not what we don't have. Uh, th- there's that big difference. If we're living in envy of others, then, then that's exactly where we are. Our heart and mind is on other stuff. And it's off what we've been blessed with and appreciating what we have. Number three, ask for what you need instead of complaining about what you don't have. Kind of a simple list, isn't it? Ask for what you need instead of complaining what you don't have. Contentment. Live it, man, appreciating what we have. Matter of fact, I think if we go to the Gospels, Jesus would add to that list a couple of things that wasn't in his list. I think Jesus would say, hey, give it away. <laughs> you know, if you see someone in need, hey, you got two coats, give one away. Or, or if you've got an abundance of something else, give one away. Or you see someone in need, help them out. So make, make you, look at your stuff differently. It's not just, hey, it's mine, mine. This is mine. I'm okay with just looking at my stuff. But hey, my stuff is, is his stuff. And if I could come along and help someone else, then, then make that a part uh, of, of what you have. He also says something very profound that we as followers of Christ need to, to listen to. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Where should our eyes be upon? Uh, it absolutely ought to be upon that Christ who, who has, has taken care of, of the, uh, the oppression of sinfulness in our lives. We live for him now. That attitude it is about his kingdom and his righteousness. You want contentment? Do you want contentment? Pursue his kingdom. Pursue what's eternal. Not what's temporary. Not, not what's temporary. I, I guarantee you, whatever, you know, man, if you're thinking of a vehicle, home, or whatever, it's going to fall apart in time. Right? It's going to fall apart in time. But man, what Jesus offers to us is eternal. What we have through Jesus is eternal. That ought to be our greatest investment. Greatest investment. I, I believe that contentment belongs to those who have their eyes set on the kingdom. Eyes set upon the kingdom. Amen to that. Amen. 
finally, in verses 7 and 8, it's not good for anyone to be alone. And, and Solomon brings that. Listen to what he says. He says, uh, there was a man. Uh, uh, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Verse 7. And then he says, there was a man who was all alone. He had, he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable biz- business. It's not good for, for people to be alone. Who said that? Wasn't that early on in Genesis when God in creation looked at man and said, man, it's not good for man to be alone. I, I, I tell you what, God is absolutely relational. He, he didn't, he wasn't lonely when he created this world and created you and I, or, or humanity. He, he wasn't lonely. Uh, we, we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There, there was a relationship uh, within God and around God. And, and in that relationship, he built what to do in order to invite and bring you and I into this, whole, this relationship with him. And there we find that wholeness. There we find belonging. There we'll find satisfaction. A, a satisfaction that this world cannot give. Cannot give. Man, if we're pursuing it, yeah, you're going to end up like Solomon. Oh, man, it's just, you know. It was fun for a while, but it's just meaningless. It's just like wind. I just can't seem to get satisfaction. Well, what God has offered to us in his creation is to be in a right relationship with him. We have that in Jesus. We have that in Jesus. Now, it's believed that as, as we especially see uh, verse, uh, uh, the last part of verse 8, that actually Solomon, uh, not, not directly, these actually come from the word, word of Solomon. He says, he said, man, for whom am I toiling? He asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. You see, it's lonely at the top. Solomon King, and, and I know you want to remind me, he said, okay, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, Ronnie. And I would say, exactly. I, I, you could have that many and be absolutely lonely. You hear what I'm saying? I had to tell my wife uh, this morning, I said, you're, you're, you're better than a thousand women. <laughs> is that bad? But I, I, I thought about Solomon. I said, that is not appealing to me at all. But a, a relationship where God has given me the opportunity to, be, to become one flesh is absolutely precious. It is valuable and it is a gift from God. I believe Solomon was lonely. I believe he was lonely, <coughs> and he identified that. In verses 9 through 12, he lays it out simply. So I'm just going to read this. Listen to what he says about not being alone, about what God has provided. Matter of fact, he's re- provided relationship. And in verse 9, he says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Man, he just emphasizes how important it is that we do this life 
with someone else. Together. Together. How often is that emphasized in the New Testament? And the creation of the church. Now the church is created through that cleansing blood of Jesus. If, if I'm cleansed through the blood of Jesus and I belong to him and you are, welcome brother, welcome sister. We are connected. We are together. And, and I tell you, that relationship is absolutely important because I need, I need help in walking through this life and pursuing the righteousness and holiness that he's laid out for me. I absolutely need you. <coughs> and you absolutely need each other in this life in order to encourage, as it says, encourage one another, love one another, uh, build each other up. It's all over the New Testament. And it talks about that. Solomon identified that way back that we need each other. That word church is not the building, never has been. Building's empty in the week, and it's not the church when you're gone. When we're together, here's the church. When you're, when you're together out in the community, there's the church. Wherever you go, and, and where two or three are gathered together in Christ's name, there he is right in the midst. Man, that, that togetherness is so important. So, so here's the view from the top. The, the three specific areas that, that is just trouble that, that Solomon identified, it's that oppression. And we see and know that oppression in this world. It leads, Solomon declares, to, to despair. Even to the place to say, man, you're better off dead. Or, or even if you were never born. But it's different when we know that Jesus has come into this world and he has conquered the oppressiveness of the sinfulness in our lives. He has offered that, that cleansing uh, salvation, that, that absolute wonderful salvation to everyone in this world. And that's the message we need to deliver. Letting the world know that Jesus has brought freedom from sin. Envy. Envy is the second one. You know, and he, absolutely we are called to, to be content, to be thankful to God because he provides, to keep our eyes on our own stuff, and matter of fact, even use our stuff to help others. To, to, to use what God has blessed us else, uh, with to help others. And absolutely, absolutely to pursue His kingdom and His righteousness. And that loneliness, that loneliness. We as a church, man, we need each other. Be a support, be an encouragement to one another. Pray for one another. And make that a, a, a part of your life every week, every day. Every day. Loving each other, pursuing each other. And, and uh, being a strength and an encouragement to each other. It's good to be with you today. I love Sundays. I love seeing, I, last night we had a fireside fellow. That was fun. That was enjoyable just to, to relax and be around brothers and sisters in Christ. I love Wednesday and I love Tuesday morning when I'm doing I love Monday morning. Those are times I'm together with brothers and sisters in Christ and we're seeing, oh man, encouraging uh, things happen in our lives. And when trouble comes, we could be there for one another. Trouble comes every week for each one of us. Isn't that right? And we need each other through this. Let's, let's go before the Lord and, and just pray. Lord, we praise you uh, for this opportunity today just to look at your word, to know, Father, uh, it, it's no surprise that there's trouble in this world. We each know that. But it's an evil working in this world. And, and we pray, Father, that the, the things of oppression, the things of envy, 
just kind of identifies it's, it's within our own lives that there's that sinfulness. We praise you, Lord, for Jesus, especially right now. We praise you for Jesus, who we put our confidence in, we put our uh, assurance in that, that what he has done upon the cross is exactly what's needed for us to be right before you, to, be, uh, to bring us to that place that we are acceptable, that we are holy, cleansed, and, and Lord, today we're even identified as your children. We praise you for that. We ask, Lord, that you be our strength. Help us, Father, to spread this message of freedom from oppression. Lord, if we're dealing with envy, Lord, we pray that you uh, convict us, that your spirit works upon our hearts. Help us, Lord, to let go of the grip of the stuff that we have and, and feel free to, to share and to commit what we do have to your kingdom. Lord, may that be our pursuit. May that be our pursuit for your kingdom and for your righteousness. Lord, we praise you for the message of your word always. May your spirit do his work at guiding and leading our hearts and our minds to following after you and doing that well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.